0: If you weren't here last week, we shared it, we were going through the the letter of 1 John chapter 4 verses uh, 7 through 21. And if you weren't here, you might want to go online to our podcast and listen because it's kind of a continuation of the process. Last week we looked at uh, some of the verses. We went back the first week and we looked at the overview. The uh, last week we looked back at verses 7 through 11. Today we're going to be looking at verses uh, 12 through 16, and then we'll complete our task next Sunday, the, the after Christmas, the day after Christmas. Uh, and looking at verses 17 through 21 and talking about that there in more detail. Um, Time Magazine a few years ago had an article, a little brief blurb in there, about a nervous motorist in a place called Lambertsville, New, New Jersey. I didn't know it existed. But uh, the man on um, being stopped by the police ex- explained that he had been driving on 224 consecutive learner's permits <clears throat> over the last 25 years. The reason he was doing that, he explained, was because he had flunked his first driver's test and had been unsure of himself ever since. And because he doubted he could learn all the rules, so he just kept getting learners permit after I don't know you could do that, after learner's permit, two hundred and twenty five of those, uh two hundred and twenty four of those over twenty five years he had driven on those. That's pretty anxious person there. But it's sometimes an insensitive describes, I think, in a real sense but some of us, uh, if we were honest, many of us confess that we feel the same way about our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're unsure of it sometimes. We're not really sure that we really are a Christian, that we are a believer. And, and we have this uncertainty about it, and so we live our lives in some way kind of tentatively in our relationship with Christ. Um, almost every Christian at some time has to realize this, and we, and we have to admit it to ourselves that we struggle sometimes with this assurance of salvation? Are we really within God? Does God live in us? Uh, you know, it may have been back in college when we had some uh, p- professor who was not a God-fearing person who uh, railed against uh, the Christian faith, maybe read a book or we watched the movie uh, like the Da Vinci Code or something like that that kind of questions brings into question some issues of the faith, and maybe it caused you to doubt the truth of Christianity. Uh, and then the enemy, Satan, uh, hits us with thoughts like, how could you be a genuine Christian and have thoughts like that? Maybe it was during a time of severe trial. It was a time when, uh, you, God did not seem to be answering your prayers and you cried out to God and, and, and he seemed to be on vacation. But, uh, you just couldn't make sense out of what was happening to you. So you began to doubt God. See, the enemy has all kinds of ways to make, make us doubt and to be insecure in our faith. But today, as we look at this little letter of 1 John chapter 4, one of the things that we see over and over, even if you read, I shared with you before, that John's a circular thinker. It means he keeps coming back to the same things. As we go back and look at, at the letter, the whole letter of 1 John, I began to notice some things, some words that popped out time and time again. Let me share with you some of that, some of the verses that popped out to me. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3 of, of John, uh, chapter, uh, 1 John, it says this, By this we know that we have come, we have come to know him. Verse uh, verse five. By this we know that we are in Him. Verse uh, thirteen. You know, you know Him who has been from the beginning. Verse thirteen b. Uh, you know the Father. Verse twenty. Uh, you all know. He must have been a Southerner. You all know. Um, verse uh, chapter three, verse fourteen. We know that we have passed out of di- death into the life. Uh, uh, verse nineteen. We know by this that we are the, uh, we are of the truth, and we are sure. And we'll assure our heart before Him. Uh, verse twenty-four. We know by this that He abides in us. Um, verse uh, chapter four, verse two. By this you know the Spirit of Spirit of God. Verse uh, chapter four, verse six. By this we know the Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of Error. Uh, chapter five, verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God. Verse thirteen. These things I have written so that you may know. You ever see a word that kind of pops up every now and then Uh, in John? He likes the word. No. Obviously, clearly John wants wants us to know some things with assurance. That's part of the reason he writes his little letter, that we can know some things that are true. Not just think that they're great truths, but know that they're true. And, and, and one of the things that he wants us to talk he talks to us about is this. In your, in your outline, in the bulletin, I have the NLT translation, and I'm going to be referring mostly to the NIV translation, the New International Translation today. And there's other translations. That's why it's important sometimes to read scripture in multiple translations, because sometimes there's a word that's translated... Not totally correctly in some translations, but not as clearly, and so one of the things that sometimes we read about uh, is this: is in verse thirteen, John, uh, chapter four, John says this. Uh, he says this in one translation that we may know that we abide in Him and He in us. It may say in your translation, it may say that we live. He live. We live in Him and He in us. The word abide is a word, it's an interesting word, that that we're going to talk about. I'm going to use that word today because it's not a word we normally use, but it's a word that really describes clearly about what John is trying to say to us about how we can have assurance that God abides in us, that he lives in us, and we abide and live in him. Uh, While the word abide is John's word for fellowship with God, it would be a mistake for us to understand or to think that this is something that has to do with maturity. Some people say, well, as you grow in your relationship with God, he abides in you. That when you become a Christian, maybe he really doesn't live in you in such a way. But this is not what John's talking about. This is not what Scripture is talking about. Because what he's talking about here to us is this, is to be sure the abiding relationship grows and deepens over time, over a lifetime. We grow deeper and closer to God. And we're going to do a whole series starting mid-January for several months, for about two months, that deals with this whole thing of us slowing down, focusing our attention upon God so that we can be with Him, so we can abide with Him more. Now, we're going to do that, talk about that, but that's not something that doesn't happen. With, but what John is talking about here is this. In John's mind, every Christian abides in Christ and Christ in Him. If you are not abiding in Him and He in you, then you're not a Christian, is what he says. It's evidence. It's evidence. That you are in Christ. That God lives in you and you live with him. So when we talk about the assurance of abiding, we're going to talk about the assurance of salvation in our lives. John's message here, what we're going to talk about today for a few minutes is this. We're going to talk about this. That we can be assured that God lives in us. That he abides in us. And that we are in him if we see two things happen in our lives. This is what we're going to talk about. I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it, and then we'll wrap it up again, okay? Um, the two things he says is this. We can be assured that God lives in us and we in him if we see his spirit producing in us love for one another and we confess the truth about Jesus Christ, and we have confession of the truth about Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this. Um, I'm trying to find a way to illustrate this today in a tangible way. And we've been pulling out different things out of uh, the out of, out of box each week. But um, last week we talked about that Christmas is not just about the baby who came in this world as a baby. And we talked about this baby blanket here. This is a symbol so often we see and think about Christmas, the baby at Christmas. But we talked about as well that Christmas is also about uh, this baby coming into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And really this is a better symbol. Of Christmas, the cross, about God coming and living among us, Emmanuel, God with us, who died for our sins and did something for us. That is the best expression of his love. Now, this morning, I want to talk about this thing of body or God living in us, but one of the problems we often have, this represents us, okay? That's you, okay? This picture, okay? And this... It's God, okay? This is God. Now, this is not all there is of God. This is a little bit of God right here, okay? And and what happens in a life is so often it talks about in Scripture that God does not just simply live next to us. You know, in the garden, He walked with them. He talked with them. It says later on in the Old Testament that He dwelt with them. But then later on, it says in the New Testament that God does what? When His Spirit comes into us, we become a Christian. Actually, God lives in us. He He actually comes into us. And he lives in us. And when we become a believer, God gives us a spirit the moment we become a believer. And we can see that visibly here in this illustration. The problem is, is so often because the spirit is not something that we tangibly see, some, something sometimes we, we don't have assurance that he really lives in us. And what John is trying to do, we're going to talk about this morning, is just as clearly as that you and I can see that God, you know, that this liquid li- is in this container here, the, John wants us to be just as clear about the fact that God lives in us, that His Spirit is in us. Now, how do you do that? How do you know that? John gives us some clues this morning about how we can do that. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to First John chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. We're going to look at just four verses of Scripture this morning, just four points this morning, each one dealing with one of these four verses of Scripture. As John points out some things to us that are important for us along the way. The first point is this in verse 12. Although we cannot see God, we have evidence of His abiding in us when we love one another. It says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Now, verse 12, in a sense, it kind of gives an overview of the remainder of this chapter, even through verse 21. Next week we'll complete this, in a sense. But the first thing he says to us, he throws in something here. We're asking the question, he's been talking about God's love, and all of a sudden he says this phrase, he says this phrase, no one has ever seen God. Now, where did that come from? John just, you know, out of nowhere, he throws in this verse. Well, it seems out of context But the same words occur in the prologue or the very beginning of of John's gospel, of the gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, No one has ever seen God. I've seen those words before. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And then John continues, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that mean? What is he saying to us? What's the point? Well, the point is this. He means that the unseen God who was historically uh, revealed in the Son as he came to us in this world is now revealed by the indwelling presence of God's spirit in his people when they love one another. He said the evidence, the evidence of, of, of God's spirit living in you is that you began to love one another in a supernatural way, not the way you normally love. You know, I want something from you, so I'll love you. It's an unconditional type of love. He said that is the evidence, one of the evidences of God's Spirit dwelling in us. It's an amazing thought. People in the world don't know God. They may not know God, and they may not read the Bible, but they do see and read the lives of Christians. Did you know that? People are looking at you. If you call yourself a Christian, people are looking at you. And they're asking this question, are they any different than me? When people look at us and they they see us and they they interact with you at work or at school, if they see a remarkable otherworldly love in those places in your life, when you interact with people where where they would expect retaliation or anger or bitterness, when they see something else, that's that's where they see Christ in you. And the only way that can happen in us is that every once in a while we can conjure up enough power to do something like that. But on a regular basis, we need God's Spirit in us to, to be able to do that, to, to respond unconditionally in love to people. And so John is saying here to us, one of the evidences of God's Spirit living in us is that we are able to love other people. One of the early uh, writers um, of Christianity said this. They said, he said about Christians, they know one another by secret marks and signs, and they love one another almost before they w- know one another. Another Greek writer, Lucian, said of the early church, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in all their wants. They spare nothing. The church father, Tertullian, said it is our care for, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. I wonder how often the world sees us that way, as believers. See, John's point is this, in verse 12. In verse 12, he's basically saying that if, that if we see God's love surfacing in our relationships with others, then we have evidence of God abiding in us. Verse 13. He says this, the second point is this. He says that we know that we abide in God and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Uh, verse 13 says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Uh, the interesting thing is here, and that's why I told you earlier that I gave you in your bulletin outline the NLT, and I'm reading from the NIV, because in the NLT there's a word missing. After study, I found that out. It's not that it's missing, but it doesn't fully explain something here. In NLT it leaves the word out, the word of. Because in NIV, it says, because he has given us of his spirit. Now, I didn't think that was a... You know, of doesn't seem like a very big word, does it? <laughs> but it is in this context here. That's why we have to... You know, when you study scripture, don't just read one. Read multiple translations and ask what the, why, why there's not certain words there. It says he has given us of his spirit. The Greek word literally here means means out of. He, John is looking at something which God has imparted to us out of his spirit. Namely, truth and love. And in John 3, John the, the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 3, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about the new birth, he said to him this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Then he says this interesting comment. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. So often we believe the Christian lifestyle, the Christian life, is not only a matter of believing, we believe it's maybe a matter of believing certain doctrines. Yeah, it is part of that. That's not all there is. It includes that. It is not merely a matter, living the Christian life is not merely a matter of stopping certain sinful practices and adding certain godly ones. It's not just that, even though that's part of it as well. At its root, at its very core essence of what it is, the Christianity is receiving new life from the Spirit of God it's receiving new life, something totally new because the moment the moment you are born of the Spirit, God says he comes and dwell in you that's what the scriptures saying over and over and that's what John is trying to say to us here that, that when the spirit comes in you something because of the spirit living in you something comes out of that Come, something comes out of that John is saying you know so often we say you know things like um <clears throat> Things like, um, uh, well, you know, how do I know the Spirit lives in me? Is it just, do I have a feeling? He says, don't don't trust feelings. Because feelings are not always indicative of what the truth is. Have you ever had a feeling that wasn't really, you come to find out later, it wasn't really what you should have felt? Maybe it was warm and fuzzy, but it really wasn't the right feeling at the time. He says, that's not what it's about. He says, if you want to know that the Spirit is living in you, uh, what, what John is saying... Don't focus on feelings. Look for evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's kind of, that's what, that's what he's, uh, in, in that illustration where jo- Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he says the wind blows. You know, do you ever see the wind? Have you, any of you ever seen, literally seen the wind? No. How do you know that the wind blows? I mean, particularly last Sunday. I mean, the wind was howling. If there had not been some snow out there though, you could have felt the wind. But we saw the wind in, in, in mighty effect last week, right? But, it, but the, only, the only reason we saw the wind was because of what it affected, how it affected the things around it. In the same way, what John is saying to us here in this is he's saying, you know, you can't see the wind, but you can see its, its effects. He said you can't see the Spirit, but you can see its effects. The effects of the Holy Spirit, and if you want to know what they are, is this new life that you have in you is, look for the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What happens when the Spirit of God lives in you? It changes a whole lot of stuff about who you are. Now, it doesn't do it automatically, everything at one time. It is a progression and growth process. But when the Spirit of God lives in you, it allows you to live in a different way that you lived before. And he says some of the things are this. Do you see love in your life? Do you believe and confess the truth about Jesus Christ? These are the effects of the Holy Spirit living in you. I mean, we can list all kinds of effects of God's Spirit living in believers. Here are a few. Uh, just, let me just give you a few effects of God's Spirit living in you. Are you concerned about the things of God? Uh, do you have a desire to experience more of Him? Do you love God's Word? Uh, do you have a sense of sin so that you recognize that you're a sinner? Do you hate your sin and struggle daily against your flesh? If you don't struggle with that, folks, it means probably, you know, some of us think like when we become a Christian, everything becomes wonderful, you know. It's like we're living in Disney World. No, we become more aware of who we are and our shortcomings and our failures and our sin, and we struggle with that. Guess why? Because God's Spirit is living in us. That is one of the evidences of God's Spirit living in us, John says. John says this, by this we know that we abide in Him or live in Him And He and us, because He has given us His Spirit. We can't see the Spirit, but we can sure see the effects of God's Spirit. He says if you have those effects, look at what Scripture says about what the Spirit does in our life. And if you have those effects in your life, then you can be assured of God abiding in you. Verses 14 and 15 kind of go together, and they kind of say this. It says, we know that God abides in us and we in him when we confess the truth about Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, this seems, if we just read this, we're going like, okay, what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about that? What John first states is what we call the apostles' testimony. The apostles were the guys who, who lived and walked with Jesus. They saw the things that happened there. And we base our faith upon that testimony. Their, their testimony, that their early testimony. And, and the apostles' testimony is that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So when John says here this, he says this, we have seen and testify, it takes us back to the beginning of this letter. At the very beginning of this little letter of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, this is what it says to us. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life of was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, John and the other apostles reported to us their eyewitness testimony of what they saw. They, they walked with Jesus. They saw Him heal. They saw Him die upon a cross. They saw him crucified. They experienced him rising from the dead. All those things. And they report it to us. And the thing is, it is vital to affirm that the Christian faith does not simply rest upon philosophical arguments or agreements or speculations or some creative thinkers. It, it, it does not not rest on interpersonal impressions or mystical visions. It rests upon the fact that, that there is a historical testimony of people who experienced God living in the flesh among us. When he came in that manger, that wasn't the ultimate thing. He lived his life, and we experienced all these things so that we can know who God is m- more clearly. And it's, it's false to say that, that Christianity is just uh, a blind leap in the dark. The Christian faith rests on this historic of apostolic witness, to the person of Jesus Christ. See, they became convinced that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about God's promised Messiah. And they saw his miracles, they heard his teaching, and they saw him transfigured in glory on the mountain. And concerning that, Peter, another one of the apostles, said this. He says this in 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made him known to you, the power of and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw all these things. And so going back to what it says in 1 John, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 5 uh, verse uh, 14 and 15, uh, verse 15 says this, following along a little bit further. It says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. Now, a second, first of all, he says. We can know that we're assured of our salvation, assured of that God is in us, first of all, because the Spirit lives in us and expresses itself through all the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, though, he says here in verse 15, after he says that we have this witness, he says, if we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and that God lives in him, then God lives in him and he in God. What he's saying to us is this. He's saying to us it, it, let me say first of all what he's not saying okay sometimes that's important before I say what he does say what he is not saying here what he is not saying here uh he's, he's not saying to us that uh, that god that god simply uh that we simply because of what we the words we say um or something that we make up ourselves, that we have thought this up, that we became creative thinkers, and all of a sudden we just got kind of to realize there's a God in the universe, and then He's there. But what He's saying to us is this He's saying that John's point is that if you or I confess that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who saves you from your sins, you didn't come up with that yourself. You didn't come up with that yourself. It is evidence, He says. It is evidence that God's spirit lives in you, that God's spirit was working on you and lives in you. You've accepted that as the truth, but not because of your own intellect or because of your own desires, but simply because God's spirit lives in you. And throughout Scripture, it says to us that only God, God's spirit can convict us of the need for righteousness, convict us of our sin, God's Spirit is working in our lives to do that, but we have to accept that truth. But it's God's Spirit that is working in us to do that. It's interesting that when Jesus um, asked his disciples in Matthew 16, the most important question probably ever asked in the world, uh, the most important crucial question, he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Peter gave the greatest answer of all time. You know, if this was a game show, he would win the game show. You know, he gave the right answer. Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied this You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know what Jesus' reply was? Ding ding ding, great answer. No, that's not what he said. Jesus said this. This is what's so important, this is what supports this so clearly. Jesus said, The reason said, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, he's saying to Peter, he's saying, Peter, you know, my father, as his spirit lives in you, he revealed this to you. This is not something you came up with yourself. You can't come up with stuff like that. And so what he's saying to us, this is John's point here, if in your heart you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world, that he is your Savior, if you truly believe that, you didn't figure that out on your own, God revealed it to you by his spirit. Your confession is evidence that God abides or lives in you, and that you live and abide in God. Then God, come, then John comes back to the theme finally in verse 16 that he begins with the theme of God's love. Last point, verse 16. It's this: when we know and believe God's love for us, and we abide in love, we abide in God and God He in us. and us. In verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. It is important here to... Let me me just slow down a second and let me just say something else that's important here. We can be confused here very quickly. Because this is not... John is not saying in these verses that the way to abide or to have salvation or to be connected with God... Is that we confess that Jesus is Lord, and have Him abide in us. It's not saying these verses that the way to abide in God is to have Him abide in us, is to confess to say these words. Rather, He is saying that if we do these things, if we confess that Jesus is Lord, it is evidence of God's abiding in us. That's not what makes. It's not our words. It's not something we do. Once again, once again, what is what is God? What is Christmas all about? It's about a present, right? It's about a gift. Now we'll give gifts to all kind of people this Christmas that have that they, they don't deserve, right? Everybody we give a gift to deserves it, right? They earned it. You don't look like you're nobody's agreeing with me with that, you know? No, I mean we give gifts to people because they don't deserve it, even though our kids don't always deserve it, and we don't deserve. You know, if we got what we deserved this Christmas, we would get what? Nothing. Nothing. Maybe that's what we should get. Nothing. But the issue, what he's saying here, it's not because you say these words, I confess you, Jesus is Lord, is that is what, not what saves you. That's not what causes God to abide in you. What he's saying here, it's the evidence of God already abiding in you when you confess. Does that make sense? Hopefully, somewhat. He's saying that if we do these things, it's evidence of God's abiding in us and us in him. When when John says, we have come to know and have believed, he uses a verb tense, and I don't like to always do this, but he uses a verb tense, the Greek perfect, that means we have come to know and believe in the past with continuing results in the present and future. Now, Dan Haney will know exactly what I'm talking about. He's taking Greek right now. But it's it's, it's let me say that again. What he's saying here, this, the verb tense, if we want to be kind of... What it's saying here to us literally is we have come to know and believe... In the past at some time, with the continued results in the present and the future. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's based on knowledge. John and the apostles came to know and believe God's love for them in the person of Jesus Christ and his voluntary sacrifice on the cross. And then John simply repeats what he already said to us here in verse, he would already said in verse 8 that God is love. He simply says that, he says, after all this, he said, what I want to assure you of is this, is that you can know that God abides in you, and you and him, because God is love. And God's love is so powerful, he doesn't want you to go around in fear all the time, and we're going to talk about that more next week, that how that love is perfected in us, how it's made complete in us, that's what the word perfected means. He basically is saying to us here, because God is love, he wants us to be have assurance. He doesn't want to live in fear. And he's assured us through his spirit and the evidence of his spirit living in us, and the effects of that spirit. And secondly, because we can confess and affirm that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, and that's evidence of the Spirit as well, that God lives in us. Assurance that God is for us and that we are in Him. You know, one of the things that, uh, that sometimes it's just we struggle with is we say, well, I do believe in Jesus as the Son of God and as my Savior, but I don't have strong faith. I often have doubts. I do abide in His love. I, I live in His love. I try to and I seek to be the channel of His love to others, but I often fall short. And we struggle with that, right? Let's just be honest. And so well, how can I have assurance that I abide in Him and He abides in me? As, as we see throughout 1 John, if you read all of 1 John, the, the issue is not perfection. The issue is direction. The important questions are like this. What do you do when your faith wavers? What do you do when your faith wavers? Do you reject God you know, out and, and never go back? But do, Or do you come before the Lord in confession asking Him to strengthen your faith? You know what that's evidence of? According to Scripture, God's Spirit living in you. If that's your response, not perfection, but direction. What do you do uh, when, you, when selfishness dominates your life rather than God's love? Which direction do you go in? Do you, do you, you ask God for forgiveness for, for that selfishness? Or do you just go on and become more selfish? Do you grieve over the hardness of your heart and ask God to fill you with His Spirit, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you? What do you do? See, fruit is not an instant product. Fruit fruit has to grow in our lives. It takes time and cultivation. Faith and love take time to grow. John wants you to know that if you have these qualities growing in you, you can be assured that God abides in you and lives in you because that's the way God is. God wants you to know that for certain. He doesn't Ruled by fear. Remember, we talked about. For God is love; it's the overarching characteristic of who He is. It it, it 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 is part of every part of who He is. Even His judgment, and even His righteousness. It's it's part of who He is. He wants us to love Him. And I think the greatest gift that we can be possibly given at this Christmas, for those of you who are already believers who are struggling with doubts is that God can give you the gift of assurance that he lives in you. And because of that, next week we're going to talk about what that means and how he takes that love to completion in you and through you. Because the last, verses 17 through 21, talk about this whole thing. Of how, well, yeah, God loves you. But we, he wants to live through in us and through us. And how the greatest thing in the world, the greatest gift that anybody could give us is the gift that God gives us at Christmas of His Son who allows us to love the way He loves. Not perfectly, because we're not God, but imperfectly and in a new direction. And because of that, He gives us new life because of His love. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.